Forte, and for four years of my life, I was part of a cult. The organization looked nice and sweet on the outside, but it did a lot of damage to many people on the inside. After sharing my experiences with others, they helped me come to terms with the fact that we were in a cult, and now I speak out about that trauma while giving others a chance to do the same. Welcome to my podcast series, I Was in a Cult. Welcome back to I Was in a Cult. It's your boy Forte, and it has been a while. <laughs> oh man, a lot has happened since the last time um, I did an episode, and there's no excuse. Anything I say will come off as an excuse, but to be honest with you, if I'm being completely honest, I was living life. Um, and I don't mean, oh, I was living it up. I was, you know, popping bottles or shit like that. No, what I mean by that is I had a lot of stuff going on and I just needed to deal with that. So it kind of went from, you know, interviewing people. And I did, I think I did four or five more interviews that have not been released. And we're actually going to start bringing them back today because I think it's very important to get that going again, because uh, there was some great content that I definitely feel like people need to hear. Um, so I interviewed some people and my computer started acting up and um, I kind of just lost motivation. So that computer has not been fixed yet, but I've been able to find a way around it. I got locked out of my account. <laughs> I was finally able to get away around that. Um, and obviously with the changes that have been happening, switching from um, Anchor to Spotify for podcasters, you know, things kind of changed. So now that uh, things are up and running again, um, I want to go ahead and reboot this. So what I'm going to do is space out the interviews uh, because, I, again, I have four four of them that I did, but I'm going to space out, space out the episodes and kind of do them maybe like one a week so that one, um, people have enough time to kind of listen to them because, you know, obviously when we do interviews, they go for long periods of time. But then on top of that, um, I also want to start reaching out to other people so we can get this going. For those of you who may not be completely familiar with the I Was in a Cult podcast, Again, my name is Forte. Um, it's kind of a nickname. Eventually, it's going to be my actual name, but uh, I'll get into that and you know at a later date. Um, my birth name is Freddie. Um, I'm from Los Angeles, California. I lived there until I was 13. I moved to Georgia. Went to high school there. Didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. Um, I got saved at the age of 17. I uh, lived my life as a Christian from the age of 17 up to the age of, I want to say 36. And um, 35, 36, 18 years. And during that time, um, a lot happened. Um, a lot of good and a lot not so good. The purpose of the podcast is to talk about the not so good things that happen. And most of it happened while I was a Christian. Specifically, I was in a traveling singing organization that was originally based out of San Diego, California, and eventually moved to Knoxville, Tennessee. If you are unfamiliar with 
the organization that I'm talking about, um, I've never officially named the name of the organization. And uh, while there isn't any reason behind that, because at this point, um, I'm not I'm not doing it to shield or help anybody. It's just more along the lines of um, I just wanted to focus more on the people sharing their stories and allowing them to be able to do so without all the other stuff that kind of comes with it. Now, if you know the individuals that I'm interviewing, you already know who I'm, you know, what I'm talking about. And if you, you know, you reach out to other people, you might be able to figure it out. But again, it's not about going after these people right now, (laughs) because when we do, if we do that, um, then it'll all be out there. But right now it's just about letting people share their stories. So season one, dealt with me interviewing myself, you know, dealing with, you know, sharing my story and giving others a chance to share their own experiences as well. At the end of season one, I interviewed a friend of mine who was in my wedding, who actually was in a cult outside of um, the organization that I talked about. And she was within, um, she was also a Jehovah's Witness and her experience there was cult-like as well. So she shared her experiences and that made me think maybe I should open it up to more than just the organization. There's other people who have stories to tell. In addition to the organization I was a part of, I got a scholarship to go to Liberty University and I don't mind mentioning that one out loud because I mean, it's Liberty fucking University. Like if people are going to come after me, they're going to come after me. But I didn't say anything that was false. Also, I haven't shared any of my experiences at Liberty (laughs) because those are kind of crazy in itself as well. Um, But I allowed other people who were a part of different um, schools or churches, ministries, whatever you want to call it, to share their stories as well. And um, that's what I'm focusing on now. From time to time, I might sprinkle back some people from the organization to share their experiences, but this is more going to be open to anyone who wants to come on and share their experience. I want this to be a place of healing. I want them to be able to vent. I want them to be able to do whatever it is they have to do. So with that in mind, this um, person that I'm interviewing is someone I became friends with after joining a um, Facebook group um, dealing with, you know, just fundamentalism and stuff like that and how to raise kids and things. And we kind of, you know, we, we hit it up, became really good friends, me, her and uh, my wife. And um, she also went to Liberty University roughly around the same time I did. We kind of maybe interlapped, at, you know, um, each other at some point. But um didn't know each other until afterwards, but her story is heartbreaking. Um, but you can also see the redemption at the end of it. And, um, and it's pretty awesome. Like she has a powerful story. I just want to go ahead and give you a heads up. This one deals with domestic violence. So if it is a trigger of any kind, please skip this, uh, skip this series because I want to make sure you were in the right headspace to be able to hear what she has to say. If this is something where you feel like it's something that you've dealt with and you want to be able to have a listen and work on some things and process things yourself, absolutely, please, by all means, do so. But I am telling you right now, if this is not going to make you feel safe, skip this series. My friend Holly comes on to share her own experience with the, the cult that she was a part of right after this. 
All right. Welcome back to I Was in a Cult. It's your boy Forte. And we are continuing the trend of talking to individuals and their experiences with harmful Christian universities. This is another one that hits home because it is, once again, Liberty University. So it's just, I look, <laughs> I will interview every single Liberty University student that has had a terrible experience if, uh, if I need to, because, you know, it needs to be like, that needs to be addressed as well. And when I talk about my experiences with Liberty University, I had a lot of good ones, and I'm sure a lot of people had good things that happened there, but there's still a lot of things that were not so great that happened there, and I think those things do need to be discussed because for a university that, you know, proclaims Christ and all these other things and stuff like that, they really need to work on their PR because they're extremely bad at a lot of things. Um, so obviously that could be something right there. If I don't introduce this individual, I will be talking about my hangups with Liberty University and how they do things for the entire episode. <laughs> so I want to kind of just uh, shift away from that for a minute and then we'll come back to it uh, a little bit. So this person here that I'm interviewing is someone it, um, I feel like we all, we almost crossed paths. I think she completed her studies right before I actually got there, um, even though I'm more than likely much older than her because I uh, definitely, well, not much older, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I got a couple of years on her because I had to go the hard way of earning scholarship while being in the cult that I was in for four years. So that added another three years on top of that. So by the time I started college, I had already been out of school for seven years. Um, so this person was more than likely done and they went, you know, the traditional route and got their, you know, their degree and stuff like that. So we didn't ever actually met, but we actually um, connected via social media. We were on Facebook and uh, individual group. And then somehow one of us said something about Liberty and the other person said, Hey, I went there too. And that sparked an entire conversation and sparked a friendship. And uh, she's been one of my friends ever since. So I'm looking forward to hearing her story because, you know, when we start talking about cult practices and other things, and especially like, you know, institutions that we are, are part of, she started sharing a little bit about hers. And so I'm looking forward to her actually, you know, kind of laying it out a little bit more. So if you will, please welcome to the IWIAC universe, my friend, Holly. Holly, welcome. Thank you so much, Freddie. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm I'm just thrilled that you've decided to come on. And obviously, you know, considering the fact that this is going to be about liberty, um, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm always willing to talk about Liberty University. So uh, I think this is going to be a good episode. So I'm looking forward to hearing from it. So uh, I don't want to take too much more of the time talking uh, because I'm tired of hearing in my own voice. So why don't we just learn a little bit more about you? So tell us a little bit about your your background, your upbringing, and then uh, we'll kind of shift into liberty. All right. Sounds good. So um, I grew up in upstate New York. Um, my family wasn't like a traditional church family. Uh, so just kind of a little background on my demographics and my experience with the church as a child. Um, I grew up in a biracial home. Uh, my mom is as fair as freshly fallen snow. Grew up here in upstate New York. <laughs> You know, and my daddy is from down south, like deep south Georgia, like my grandfather was a sharecropper the whole nine yards, like, you know, very traditional southern family. So I grew up in a biracial home. Um, both my parents as children, you know, went to church with their families and things. Um, that wasn't like really a tradition that continued. Uh, my dad's aunt would take me to Sunday school when I was very young. So that was a thing for a bit. 
went to private school, not so much for religious reasons, but my parents just weren't comfortable with the local public schools. Uh, then when I was in ninth grade, I ended up being homeschooled for a year. Uh, you know, like there's just, you know, the local high school is super big, like thousands of kids. And, you know, my mom, bless her, was just very worried about sending me there. And so she offered me the opportunity to be homeschooled. I'm like, sure. What kid 14 doesn't want to stay home? Uh, so that was, <laughs> you know, so um, through that homeschooling curriculum, I had to take Bible classes and I got very curious about the Bible and I wanted to start going to church. So my mom obliged. And so she and my mom, or so sorry, she and my little brother and I all started going to church and I was, you know, quote unquote saved and then baptized and uh, kind of like, something about my personality is that like when I set my mind to something when I, I when that you know that switch flips in my head I'm like I'm all in I'm you know what I mean like I need every book mm -hmm. I need every you know that's just my personality and so that's how like church was for me I you know went to every service I was part of the youth group I did excuse me, short-term missions in high school. I read all of the Left Behind books, both the adult and the YA series. <laughs> um, and I thought that, you know, my life's work was going to be as a missionary. I went to, I graduated high school from a year, from high school a year early. I went to a Bible college that's about an hour and a half north of where my family is from. And, you know, I do have some friends from there still. However, you know, I really feel like that's where things started to take a turn. Uh, mm. There was uh, a lot of legalism, a lot, a lot of legalism, you know, to just to give you an example. So this is this Bible college is in the Adirondacks. And so, you know, our winters in upstate New York can be pretty intense. Uh, and so there was no physical contact permitted between males and females ever. But there was a rule in the rule book that said, you know, and the phrasing was hilarious, but it basically said that, you know, a gentleman may offer a lady his arm if weather conditions become hazardous. So, you know, winter semester, you'd see all the couples on campus finding the icy patches on campus and just walking back and forth over the icy patches, you know, arm oh, in arm. Wow. Yeah. You know, females, you know, we had to wear skirts. And then if we were in church, we had to wear stockings. Uh, the only time we were allowed to wear pants was if the weather went, I think it was below 30. It was either like below 32 or below 30. Uh, you know, there's like a, you know, there were a million um, dress, you know, dress code rules for us. You know, you cannot be, you know, with a member of the opposite sex, you know, even on certain parts of campus, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. Uh you know, and also building on that rule about the whole no physical contact. Well, couples also were allowed to hold hands if they got engaged. So we had a lot of people getting engaged our first year of Bible college. Uh, you know, like, oh, weren't they, oh, didn't they just start dating like a month ago? Yeah, they're engaged, man. Like, <laughs> so, you know, I feel like this kind of laid a foundation and, you know, you know, in the same way that I'm very much all in, like when something really catches my focus, I do, you know, historically, I've always also tended to want to make people, the people around me happy. You know, I want everybody else yeah. to feel comfortable. I want them to be happy with me, to accept me. So, you know, while there were those rules, I also thrived because I'm, I was really great at following rules, too, uh, yeah. which, is, which is also not 
always a great thing. Uh, so, you know, I went to college there for a year, did my one year. Uh, then I worked for the or- their organization for a year as a secretary because my plan was I was going to be a single missionary uh, and moved to Scotland. Uh, and, you know, you know, one of the missionaries I knew in Scotland were great people. Um, I had nothing bad to say to them about them. You know, kind of in the headquarters of this organization, it was a very different story. Uh, so mm-hmm. to kind of give some perspective, I was 18, working full time as a secretary. And, you know, there were constant comments about, well, you're 18. Why are you getting married? Da, 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 da. And, you know, there was just so much like subtle or and not so subtle misogyny, um, xenophobia, racism. Um, you know, this is a, a organization that has missionaries in dozens of countries, literally dozens of countries. And yet, you know, someone, I can remember this one older man who had been with the organization for a while, you know, making a joke about the eye structure of Asian people. Like during a work meeting, I'm like, dude, you know, my language, but what the fuck? Like, <laughs> you know, I've just, you know, it, that just, really? you know, that wasn't, that wasn't, you know, my upbringing and, you know, especially as someone who's biracial, I'm just like, what? Um, and uh, for me, the kind of the kicker to move on from this organization was um, they had a lot of property in the area, much like Liberty. Uh, and they right. I was renting a small cabin from them. And, you know, it's just like a, like a studio apartment size. It's a great first place to live on my own. However, there was one night, I want to say it was like in December. So, you know, we, we had snow and fresh snow that day. And it was probably around nine o'clock at night. I started hearing the crunch of footprints or footsteps going around my cabin. And, right. you know, I'm living in the country. I can't really see anything out the window because it's so dark. You know, there's no street lights, which is also very different from how I grew up. Uh you know, and I'm freaking out. I don't know what to do. I can't see anyone. And I know better than to go out there because like, hello, I've seen horror movies. This is how, this is how you get killed in the first 20 minutes of a horror movie. Um, so I call my mom, you know, and she's worried about me because, you know, I'm her baby, you know, and, you know, the police came and they were actually very polite, which is not always the case, uh, but they were actually very polite. They're like, yeah, we can see the fresh footprints here. Do you have a friend you can stay with? So, you know, I went and stayed with a friend and then, you know, a couple days later at work, I get it called into a meeting with my boss and he's like, well, some of the men and I met about what happened and, um, you know, the only person that owns a silver truck, because I could see a silver truck outside, uh, you know, is so-and-so, um, but he'd have no reason to be there. So we think you were just hearing things. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, but there were footprints. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes, you know, my ki- you know, I'll think I hear something in the hallway or uh, at night or I'll think I hear one of my kids um, and there's nothing there. So, you know, we just met and we just don't think we think you were just hearing things, which, you know, now that I have the vocabulary, I'm like, this is like gaslighting 101. So, you know, kind of between that and just the culture of the organization, um, I was like, no, I need to move on. Like this is I can't align myself with this, you know, long term. So I'd heard about Liberty actually in high school. I was only homeschooled the one year, and then I went to uh, my uh, church's school, 
And, um, you know, a lot of the kids were going to Liberty and they would just talk about, oh, you know, it's so cool there and you can go to a movie theater for $2 or you know, whatever, whatever the dollar theater cost back then, you know, and just, oh, you know, it just sounds like this cool Christian place to go. And, you know, the Bible college I was at, everybody's like, oh God, no, don't do that. It's so liberal. It's so, all they care about is, you know, Jerry Caldwell just wants to be in the next Notre Dame and build his football team, which I don't know, maybe he did. I don't know. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I was just like, well, you know what? Liberty sounds great because at the time, you know, I was still thinking like maybe someday I'd be a missionary or maybe I would just work in church ministry um, and I did still want to go to college. So I, I applied. I was accepted. Uh, and, you know, I, I got to Liberty and I was just shocked at first because here are these girls. It's, you know, 2006 and all of these girls on campus are walking around in skinny jeans and oh my gosh are they holding hands and then you know I went to see a play and a couple in the play kiss on stage I was like what is this place um <laughs> my, my my sweet naive soul um so, you know, I, I went to Liberty uh and I you know really threw myself into the whole experience I was on a ministry team there I worked part time. I was in a department where there's a lot of uh, outside of normal school hours things you have to do for your major, which I'm sure people will guess, but you know, just trying to, you know, liability. Uh, <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> you know, I really threw myself into that life. Uh, I was a prayer leader, I think, my second year there. Uh, you know, just all these things. But, but, you know, over time, little things would kind of start to pop up. You know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of talk about, you know, because kind of like complementarian theology, and I always mispronounce that word, so I'm sorry. Uh, you know, and well, of course, you know, I've been hearing, you know, the whole no sex before marriage for ages. You know, there's a whole other way. Um, you know, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. Uh, and then sometimes I would see friends were just making choices that, you know, were very typical of college age adults get you know and their lives would just be destroyed for like what you know and then you know after jerry senior passed of course jerry jr took over uh and you know i remember that first convo i was like oh he seems so quiet you know he's just like this lawyer slash real estate person and he seems nice and oh boy <laughs> we all found out some things so then, you know, you know, kind of rumors would go around. I, I had one friend who, uh, you know, rubbed elbows with, if you want, if you will, with uh, kind of the Liberty elite, and he'd be like, "Yeah, I, ha I had a drink with Jerry Jr." It's like, "Excuse you? Like, wow. what? You know, excuse you?" Which you know, it wasn't so much drinking; it was just the like, "Hey, wait a second. Here are like mm -hmm. average people like me who are doing these things that." any other college wouldn't blink at and they're you know being fined these ridiculous amounts of money because i i still remember uh at least when i was there uh swear words were 250 dollars per swear word if you swore Holy shit. On yes and <laughs> i was talking about it with a friend and he like rolls down my car window and he goes shit fuck like we're on campus i'm like dude shut up shut up like i i don't have 250 dollars like <laughs> right 
you know, and it's just like, okay, so, you know, you know, the kind of the illusion starts to crack a little bit. Um, and then you could kind of see like how some students could do some things and people in charge would know about it, but nothing would happen. But then other people might do something, you know, less offensive. And then like, oh, no, you have to do community service. You have to pay fines. You, you know, are you going to be expelled? You know, whatever. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, a bit of disillusionment, uh, you know, kind of started seeping in. Uh, and then, and I apologize because I can't remember the bill, the name of the bill, uh, but the subject of gay marriage came to Virginia during my time at Liberty. And I want to say it was like my, maybe my second year there. And growing up, you know, even though I started going to church in high school, like I could just never develop a hatred toward gay people. Like that was just so like mind boggling to me. I was just like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, like if you don't want to be gay married, then don't get gay married. I, I don't know. Like, you know, like let people live their lives. This is like, if you have the right to marry, then they also should have a right to marry. Like it was just never this thing for me. I just, I just did, never got it. And I, I, I just remember seeing and hearing the things that fellow students would say, that members of staff would say, and I'm like, where's the love of Christ in that? Like, where's the recognition of, you know, our shared humanity? And then Obama also got elected while I was at Liberty. And oh, boy, oh, I, can, boy yeah. I can remember my final semester at Liberty. I had this one professor who was just a really particularly unpleasant human being. And I would always <laughs> make sure that my I heart Barack shirt was clean for his class <laughs> <laughs> because I was just at that point in my life where I'm like, Nope, I just, I just, I can't anymore. Um, and I remember sitting in class too, when I was at Liberty and I had this one professor that I did actually like, uh, and he'd been at Liberty for a few years and he, he shared a story about how he'd, you know, been offered a job at Liberty toward the campus, like in the early nineties. Um, but then he's told that interracial dating wasn't allowed. So he's like, no, thanks. I'm not going to be a part of that. And I was just like, what? I'd never heard that. Like that, you know, it took into the 1990s for Liberty to allow interracial marriage. And it just was mind boggling to me. I just, it was just so different from how I grew up. I, and I just, you know, you know, kind of like my time as an evangelical, like the biggest thing I took away was how selflessly Jesus loved everybody. He did not right. care what you looked like, what your job was, how much money you had or you didn't have. He just loved everybody and he wanted to help everybody. And I was cool with that. Like, I'm like, I'm down with that. I want to help everybody too. Um, but there was just, you know, and I, I've heard so many times that kind of idea of like, oh, well, you know, well, you know, we're Christians, not because we follow people, you know, we're Christians because we follow Jesus. And, you know, church isn't, you know, you know, a, a hotel for perfect people or whatever analogy, you know, it's a hospital for broken people. And it's like, you know... It sounds an awful lot like an excuse to be a crappy human being to me. Yes. So, uh, so you know, it's just like, you know, my time there just, you know, I was exposed to just a lot of these really hateful viewpoints 
um, you know, whether it was, you know, a fellow student or a professor or a convo speaker. Um, good Lord, I do not miss convocation. No. <laughs> at all. Not at all. Um, and I remember one of my professors saying, I don't understand how anyone can be a Democrat and call themselves Christians. And I was like, well, shit, my parents are Democrats. Does that mean they're going to hell? Like, what? I was like, oh, God, like, what do I do? Um, but yeah, it was just so it was just so contrary to what I understood who I understood Jesus to be. Um, so, you know, through all of this, you know, there was a lot of emphasis both at my Bible college and at Liberty on purity culture, true love weights. Um, you know, I read all of the books, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, When God Writes Your yeah. Love Story, um, Passion and Purity, like every single book that I could get on the topic, I read, I devoured. I was like, oh my gosh. You know, and I can remember being on a, a missions trip at 15 and one of our assignments being to write down the characteristics that we desire in a future husband. And I look back now and I'm mortified. Like, I was 15. I should not be thinking about my future spouse. Like, right. I should be like reading books I enjoy learning a sport or maybe studying for the SATs or learning how to properly apply mascara and wearing really bad lipstick. Like those are things you should be doing at 58, <laughs> not like seriously thinking about your future spouse. So, you know, there was a lot of that embedded into my Christian experience in high school, in Bible college at Liberty. Uh, and, you know, of course, you know, Liberty had all their rules about, um, if I remember right, I'm pretty sure kissing was off limits too. It's been a minute, but I feel like kissing was off limits, you know, you just, you right. know, and, um, you know, I didn't date a lot, a lot, uh, in college, but, you know, dated a couple people, you know, went on dates with a couple people, had like one boyfriend in college. Um, and you know, there was, I just remember like in prayer leader meetings in uh, hall meetings, like so much emphasis on, well, could this date be your future spouse? And can I just tell you, as like an 18, 19, 20 year old, like that's a lot of pressure. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, don't get me wrong. Some people meet their person like when they're young and it's just like a very natural thing. Like, good for you. Um, but like to put that kind of pressure on a young adult whose brain is also not fully completely developed yet. You know, there's still things finishing up until we're like 25, um, which I know is the very scientific term for it to be like, you went to coffee with him. Is this your future spouse? Does mm -hmm. he check off all the boxes? Like, holy shit. Like just pump the brakes for a minute here. Okay. Um, but it was always a lot of pressure. It wasn't just like this fun thing where like, Oh, I think you're cute. You think I'm cute. You seem mildly interesting. Let's get a coffee and get to know each other better and see if maybe there's something there. You know, and it was like, no, you had to be thinking about marriage. So all of that in my mind. And, you know, just as a side note, I do deal with anxiety. So really, you know, that kind of just like ruminating my mind over and over and over like, oh, my gosh, this is my person, my future spouse. Is it, you know, it's just terrible. Um, so I graduate from Liberty. Uh, in 2009. And a couple months after I graduated, you know, I knew I wanted to stay in Virginia. I was just, you know, very much like wanting to be like an independent woman and uh, do my own thing. And the only job I could get at Liberty, ironically enough, after just having gotten a bachelor's degree from there, uh, was to be a janitor. 
so I was oh, a janitor wow. at Liberty for two, little over two years. Yeah. So a uh, couple months into working for Liberty, I, I um, meet this person, this uh, man. And, you know, I didn't like him at all at first. I was just like, you just seem really argumentative and with everybody. And I'm just like, uh. but then I don't know. I don't know the stupid took over, I guess. Um, you know, I knew him for like two months. I was like, okay, maybe you're not so bad. And then we dated for two months. And then we got engaged. And then we got married six months later. So here I am, yeah. 22, uh, getting married to someone I've known less than a year. And, you know, just thinking like, well, this is the person that God wants me to be with, which, um, you know, I think, you know, for a lot of people, faith, whether that's Christianity or something else, like faith can be like a very grounding thing. It can help provide guidance and clarity in life. But I also think you really just have to be careful because it can, that can be a dangerous thought process too, if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I can remember before we got married, um, you know, one of the campus pastors even said to me, she, you know, I'm concerned because he is an angry person, you know, and basically like once you're married, that's it. But I was like, well, you know, I understand. I know he has some growing up to do, but, but, you know, but I think this is what God wants for me. Um, but really I can look back on that in hindsight and be like, well, you were kind of brainwashed by this purity culture. Uh, and you had really crappy self-esteem. So, so that's what it was. It wasn't God. Um, so we got married and, you know, there were red flags once we got engaged, like, you know, like just the tone sometimes I'd be spoken to or jokes made at my expense. But I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. Um, and just to be, I know you said I can speak very freely. So also with purity culture, there's this idea, like if you do anything sexual, anything, you know, you, you know, you're tarnished, you're, you're you know, like you're, you're damaged goods, whatever. Um, there's so many terrible analogies that are used. Um, and you know, we like saved, you know, we saved intercourse for marriage. You know, there was like other things that, you know you know, like you're 20, 21, like this is like, just like a very natural thing that people do. It's just not a big deal outside of like the evangelical bubble. Um, so there was also part of that keeping me there because I was like, well, you know, I've already done this, so I might as well just, you know, um, you know, so a little bit of shame. And so, you know, we were married, uh, and I I kept working at Liberty. Um, he continued to pursue his degree at Liberty. And we stayed there. We stayed in Virginia probably for about three years before we moved. Um, And, you know, things kind of just continued to gradually go downhill. Um, And what I kind of want to talk about, too, is like emotional abuse, physical abuse, spiritual abuse kind of cover all of these. And, you know, the reason I gave so much background about Bible college and liberty is because that kind of toxic evangelical mindset, whether it's talking about, you know, kind of like, you know, women, we have to submit ourselves to the males in our lives. Uh, or, you know, like you can never get divorced. Like God hates divorce. God hates divorce more than anything. Um, you know, all of these things, all of this kind of laid the groundwork for me to enter into and then stay in 
an abusive relationship. Um, so, you know, my, my former spouse and I, we, you know, we did the whole church thing. We faithfully went to church. Uh, we were in marriage counseling. I feel like, oh, pretty much right off the bat, you know, there was a lot of arguments. Um, you know, it was just never happy. Um, and I can remember the first time, uh, that my ex put his hands on me. Um, we were on vacation visiting, uh, relatives of mine in Florida and we had some stupid, you know, disagreement about, I don't even remember what. And he went out to the living room and I was trying to like get him to come back into, you know, bedroom with me. I'm like, come on, please. Like, I just don't want them to like wake up and see you out here and be like, what's going on? And he, I'll never forget the look that the way he looked at me. Um, and, and just for reference, I'm like five, two, <laughs> I am short, but mighty. Um, or at least I try to be. And my former spouse was six feet tall. Um, he took, uh, both of my wrists in his hands and squeezed and like, kind of like my wrist. And then like that kind of like that side of your thumb area where that bone is, um, and backed me into the guest bedroom and pushed me hard enough that I bounced off the bed and hit the dresser in the guest room. And yeah. And you know, for some people that might've not, that might've been enough to leave. Not I, um, you know, and I can remember being worried the next day because when I was in high school, I had actually fractured that bone. I don't remember what the bone is called, but it's like on the side of your hand, like connecting to your thumb. And like my hand was like frozen in the position that it had been when I had broken it years ago. And I thought it was rebroken. Um, thankfully it wasn't. So, um, you know, we talked about it, I'm sure, uh, in marriage therapy. And eventually, you know, we were still going to like the campus pastor's office for guidance because he was still a Liberty student. I was a Liberty employee. And I can remember finally telling someone um, that he had started to put his hands on me and they gave me a packet of Bible verses, which was just like, yeah. And they said, well, you know, we do want you to be safe and maybe you can stay somewhere. But, you know, divorce was still not an option. Okay. You know, because I made a vow, um, you know, and largely over the next five and a half years before I left, you know, a lot of the abuse was emotional or verbal. Um, you know, it was very much a roller coaster. Um, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, we're good now. Like, look at us cuddling on the couch, watching a baseball game. You know, maybe that thing was not such a big deal, but it's, it's, you get really good at gaslighting yourself too, in those situations to help you survive. Like I really, you know, like one of our brain, like our brains, like, job is to survival, right? Like we always, you know, our brain wants to make sure that we're fed, that we are hydrated, you know, whatever. And our brains try to protect us. And, you know, in that kind of situation, you can get really good at gaslighting yourself too, especially when you are in a situation where not only your partner, but your circle is telling you, well, you know, divorce isn't an option. God hates divorce, you know? Um, and, you know, it actually got to a point, and I'm just going to be real transparent here. Um, you know, and I, I don't usually share this, like my inner circle knows, but I'm hoping by sharing this, this will also help someone. It got to a point where I thought, sorry, where I thought 
if I remove myself from this life, that that would bring less shame or somehow make God less angry at me um, than if I just got a divorce. Uh, so, you know, that was part of the journey too. And, um, that was a thing that was thrown back at me as well. Um, and then, you know, about three and a half years into our marriage, uh, we had, yeah, or actually no, four and a half years. Um, we had our daughter, um, which she is just about the most perfect and precious thing in my life. And I adore her so much. And, you know, I thought, you know, naively that, okay, you know, we're having a child together. Maybe this will just kind of um, start to awaken this person from their slumber and realize like, oh, I just need to, you know, I need to put away the porn. I need to be a little kinder. I need to, you know, be a partner in the situation. Um, and then like a month before our daughter was born, we were grocery shopping. It was the 4th of July. I'll never forget it. And where we were living was incredibly hot, like in, incredibly hot. And our car did not have working AC at the time. And pregnant or not, I, I don't do great with extreme heat. Like it just makes me feel just ugh. So at this time, I'm like eight months pregnant. I am humongous. Um, and I was a little cranky because I'm hot and I'm super pregnant. And like I'm sure every woman who has been pregnant in the summer can probably relate and he stopped me in a grocery store aisle and said, if our daughter ever acts like you, I will beat the living shit out of her and walked away. And, you know, in that moment, I was pretty certain things would never change. Um, you know, and our daughter was born about a month or so later. And, uh, you know, she was really my wake up call. She saved my life just by existing. Um, you know, the postpartum period was very rough. I'm sure there was some kind of like postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, but I was too afraid because I knew how things had been and, and things that had been twisted against me and held against me to like reach out for help. Um, and just like the verbal abuse just continued even through like I very fresh and raw, just had a child and just like the things that were said to me were just terrible. And um, I don't know if you ever experienced like, you know, in the organization that you were involved with or at Liberty or in church hearing like, you know, that whole idea of like God hates idols and anything that you put ahead of him, he will destroy. Like, you know, that kind of whole teaching. and. The love I had for my daughter, like even before she was born, but then once she was there, like was just nothing I had ever experienced before. And then my brain went, oh shit. What if I love her too much and God takes her from me because I love her too much? Oh, wow. And like, and I told a therapist this and, he, and they got really emotional and he's like, no, Holly you're supposed to love your child like that. That is healthy. That is normal. That is no, <laughs> like, you know, and it was just kind of like one of those, like the blinders coming off moments where I was like, huh, okay. Maybe some of the things I'm hearing and learning are a little bit messed up. Um, so uh, I stayed with my um, former spouse until our daughter was 15 months old. 
Um, you know, of course, things didn't get better. Like when you're in that situation, you always think they're going to get better. You look for signs that they're going to get better. And like I said, you're, you get really good at gaslighting yourself through these situations. Um, and I can remember, you know, things didn't change. Things didn't get better. There was one night, um, our daughter, so it was a little after, a couple months after her first birthday, sitting in her high chair, you know, I did the whole baby led weaning thing and letting her feed herself. Like I was trying to be very, like a very granola mom. Um, and you know, I had made her some like shredded chicken and some like peas or something, you know, something that she could just smash and not choke mm-hmm. off. And you know, she she's being a baby, she's fussy, she's tired. I she didn't really want to eat. So I put her food on her little high chair tray and she's doing the whole, you know, the I'm sure you've seen it with like your girls when they were little, like, you know, the whole you know, the side to side head thing, like, I don't how dare you give me this? Like, why would you make <laughs> me try to eat this? Like you know, curses upon you and your, you know, like very normal baby behavior. Um, and so I started to walk away because we had a very small house, open floor plan. And I'd walk into our kitchen. I could still see her and she's fussy. And um, my former spouse gets up from the computer that he's on and he walks over to her, pushes her head to the back of the high chair and holds it and tries to force feed her. And I scream at him, you can't do that to a baby. And his response was, well, then you take care of it. Um, so I was like, okay. My brain went to survival mode, to protection mode. How do I keep my daughter safe? How do I keep our dog safe? Uh, because my husband didn't, or my ex-husband didn't like our dog. Uh, how do I keep myself safe? Like, what do, what do I need to do in this next moment? Um, and I was just like, okay. You know, historically, like sometimes when he was losing his temper or whatever, I would pack up, you know, our daughter and we'd like go to McDonald's or go to Starbucks and I'd sit in the car with her and have like, you know, one of the $1 sodas or like something and just, you know, wait a couple hours for him to calm down. So I was just like, okay, you know, super sweet. I was like, I'm going to take her and uh, we're going to just, you know, um, her and the dog and we're just going to we're going to go to McDonald's, um, you know, and get a soda. And what I would do, you know, in these later trips, um, what I had been doing, because especially like the last month and a half we were together, things were just escalating every time. And I would go and I would call the domestic, domestic violence hotline. And I would just be like, is, is this healthy? is this normal? Because I could still in my mind convince myself, well, if I had just said this, or if I had not said that, or if I had done this thing this way, or if I just walked away or let go of this, then, you know, X, Y, Z would not have happened. I would not have upset him. Um, which for anyone listening, listening, it's not you. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. It is not you. You could be Mother Teresa or Gandhi, and they would still find a way to twist your humanity against you, to fuck with your mind, to hurt you, to control you. It's not you. Um, And I just need people to understand that it's not you. Um, And so finally, that's when I decided, like, 
no, you know, you can do whatever to me. And at the time I could just always justify it. Like, well, I was too, wasn't submissive enough or I was too sassy or I was too hormonal or this or that. But no, like, how are you going to hurt our child? Like she's a literal infant. How are you going to do that? Um, so, you know, I finally reached out for help. Um, my former partner was also in the military, which added a layer to things. Um, and he was removed from our home. Um, and that was kind of just like the start of the battle. Um, I stayed where we were living for a couple more months while I was trying to figure out, you know, am I going to work here? Am I going to move back home? You know, and, um, that divorce and custody battle lasted little over two years. Um, and there was so much, it was a terrible experience. I don't wish it on anyone, but at the end of the day, I was alive. My daughter was alive and we were out of that situation. Um, you know, and, and because the thing is, um, you know, you know, it, it didn't stop there. It wasn't just like, there was no, um, epiphany for him that like moment never came like you know well maybe I forced you to do this but you know here's how it's not my fault even if it hurt your feelings even if it upset you well maybe I you know maybe I made you do something sexual against your will but I'm not a rapist we're married you know kind of that mindset so um you know, and unfortunately, uh, the abuse did extend again to our to our daughter um, when he did have a visit with her that was supervised by his family. Um, and that was a very painful experience. And, um, you know, people who are abusive will, you know, when their mind is set, like there's no stopping them. They will utilize every resource, your friends, your church their family, um, you know, for some people, the victim's family, uh, which thankfully was not the case. My parents saw right through that, um, you know, uh, CPS, they will do anything and everything they can to hurt you, especially when they know that they are losing power over you, they will double down and they will try any way they can to get to you. Um, so you know, thankfully, you know, my daughter is thriving. She's a fantastic kid. Um, she is, um, so smart and funny and creative. And I call her my Viking child, both because of her personality and because she's already almost as tall as me. (laughs) Like it's not going to be long before she (laughs) overtakes me. And you know what? I, and it sounds a little petty, but I get so much joy knowing that just who she is as a person her authentic self is so contrary to what my ex-husband would expect of her to what liberty or you know my bible college or any of these other institutions would expect her to be as a female um you know and she's doing great um you know and for people who've been in these situations i cannot stress the importance of 
finding a great therapist that you're compatible with. And no, it does not need to be a Christian therapist. It does not have to be. Um, because there was a lot of nonsense about, well, you need therapy. Well, you should really go to a nuthetic counselor or only an evangelical counselor or whatever. No, it does not have to be that way because I will tell you, um, you know, when I was married, I think we went through around seven or eight therapists, like either licensed therapists or like, you know, clergy or whoever. Um, and there are so many that will just like kind of turn a blind eye toward abuse. If, you know, you know, well, it wasn't that bad. Well, he doesn't push you all the time or, well, you know, you could do this. Oh, well, you're married. No, mm -mm. nope. Stop that noise. Nope. Use is abuse, whether it's coming from the husband, the wife, you know, either way, abuse is abuse. Like full stop. Like just, you know, stop trying to justify it. Um, so, you know, finding a therapist that you really click with is so important. Like I still see my therapist. I have been out of this relationship for almost seven years and I still find so much value in therapy. Um, finding community um, because, you know, when I decided to leave, you know, we had been involved in a church, like, you know, we went every Sunday, did children's ministry, small group, all the things. Um, and I remember after I decided to leave, one of the moms from our small group, you know, invited me out for coffee. And I, I figured, I knew this person. I figured she was probably going to be supportive. Like, you know, is there anything that you and your daughter need? Nope. It was a lecture about why are you doing this to your child? Do you know how harmful it's going to be for her to have a stepmother someday? Do you know? And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> what? And please also know there was no mention of Amelia, uh, my child having a stepfather. Just like her having a stepmother someday. I'm like, excuse you? <laughs> um, so, you know, I lost that church community I'd had. Um, and so, you know, rebuilding community, um, you know, I did move back home with my daughter, you know, because we had family support here. I was able to get a job here. Um, it was safer. <laughs> And, you know, so it's taken time, but I built community, um, you know, initially, initially after I left, I, I still considered myself an evangelical and, um, the job I initially worked at required you to go to church. So I went to like, uh, an Episcopal church for several years. Uh, and I eventually left that church too, because, you know, you start to, you know, just as you kind of grow, you kind of start to see more things that are problematic. Um, you know, for example, the church that I had gone to, even though we're in like the middle of a city, it's actually very conservative. Um, and you know, the, a couple of years ago, the national Episcopal church voted to allow for same sex marriage in the church, which is fantastic. Like, right. absolutely. If two adults love each other and they want to enter into that legally binding commitment, go for it. And you should be able to do it the way you want to. And that's meaningful for you. Um, but our, uh, diocesan bishop like dissented and he presented like a, I think it was like a 12 page letter to the national convention <clears throat> saying how he would never allow that in his diocese. 
yada, 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 sent out this letter to all the churches. One of the local churches took that letter and like burned it on the lawn, which I thought was chef's kiss perfection. That was amazing. Um, But, you know, there was just different things like that. And I was like, well, you know what? Hold up, hold up, hold up. Some of these people 30, 40, 50 years ago, and maybe even today, and they just don't say it, would have been opposed to my parents marrying. Um, Absolutely. Because like their skin doesn't match. I was like, how am I going to be like, you know, an ally, you know? And then there were just, you know, uh, like some comments about domestic violence. I had a friend in this church uh, whose spouse was abusive. It came out um, and I hadn't been aware, you know, um, when, when people are going through something like this, we can get really good at hiding it, you know? Um, Yeah. And I hadn't been aware. And when the situation came out, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm here for you to support you however I can. Like, um, you know, she had other friends, thankfully, with me too. And we all helped her while her spouse was in church one day, helped her move out. And Mm -hmm. one of the clergy, I remember bringing up a concern one day because this person had started going to the church I was at, her her spouse. And it just made me so uncomfortable. I was like, really? Really, I had like this little like safe haven that I, I, I felt comfortable in. And I brought up this concern to a member of the clergy and they said, well, I'm not sure that everything happened the way, you know, my friend's name uh, said it happened. And I was just like, no, no, we are not playing those games. And, you know, so between those two things, I just decided it was time to move on. Um, I haven't attended any church, you know, that was a few years ago, pre-COVID. I haven't attended a church with regularity since then. Um, Mm -hmm. I would no longer use the label evangelical to describe myself or my beliefs or my life. Like, uh, you know, people always want to put a label on you. I'm like, I don't know, just call me another. I don't know (laughs) if you need to put a label on me. Uh, Because, you know, I'm still, you know, if we were to believe that Jesus is, you know, who we were told he was, like, truly, like, you know, a friend to all, and I apologize if you hear my dog in the background, um, you know, a friend to all, no matter their status or what they could give or not give, and truly met people where they were at, you know, I'm cool with that, you know, but it's just like, I cannot be a part of a toxic culture that um, oppresses people, that sets up people for harmful relationships and life situations. Like I, I just cannot in good conscience be a part of that. I cannot bring my child up in that, um, you know, which of course my child has the freedom to choose their path as um, she gets older. Um, that's fine with me, but you know, that was kind of like why I left and, you know, just kind of like, you know, after years of therapy and connecting the dots, you know, sometimes I wonder like if my life might have gone differently if I'd never gone to Liberty, if I'd never gone to that Bible college, do you know what I mean? Um, and yeah. you know, there's a huge problem in churches with covering up abuse, as we all know, whether that's, um, sexual violence or, you know, domestic violence or child abuse, you know, there's a whole lot coming out and I just find it so interesting how so many people wanted to, you know, point the finger at the Catholic church, which, you know, any institution that is abusing anyone, should be held accountable. That's, you know, not what I'm saying that they shouldn't be. Um, it's so interesting to me how so many people would point the finger, you know, and focus on that while covering this up in their own house. 
and minimizing it. And, you know, so really why I wanted to share my story is like, you know, I know there are a lot of other folks, you know, especially women and men too, but like, especially in evangelical circles, when you're a part of that complementarian theology and that purity culture movement, whereas women, it's drilled over and over and over and over and over into our heads that we need to submit. We just need to do be more of this or less of that. Um, and just really reach out to those people and be like, no, this is not, this is not love. This is not okay. This is, this is not a God honoring marriage. Like, no, 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 no. This is not, you know, even though I'm not evangelical, I would say like, that's not what God would want for you. Like, that's not, mm -mm, no, it's, you know, so I want to share my story and hopefully encourage people that maybe they've just had that kind of like voice, little, little voice in the back of their head being like, could life be better than this? Does, is this what the rest of my life is going to look like? And to tell those people like, no, it doesn't have to be like there is it's yeah. Leaving is scary. I actually left several times before leaving the final time. And I would always go back after a couple of days, you know, um, it's scary. It's hard. Um, well, but, like, um, there is this kind of lost you for a moment on the other so, side of um, that. <laughs> And I'm just going to take over there and kind of just share my thoughts. Beautiful <sighs> and fulfilling life. And your children can have a healthy, happy, whole family life away from that too. Um, yeah. So that's kind of just why I wanted to share my story and hopefully encourage someone that like, no, you don't got it. You don't have to stay. You know, you're not going to be divinely punished leaving and keeping yourself and your children safe. Hey, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. To get updates on new episodes, please subscribe. Do us a favor, share the podcast on social media with your friends, family, and enemies. Leave a rating or review for others to be able to discover the content whatever you want. We just appreciate your time and energy. Thank you again and have a good one.